You're tuning in to the Bookmatic's Best Book Podcast, where you will discover author secrets from books that'll make you feel, grow, and learn. These authors are from all over the world, all different backgrounds, and you are sure to learn a whole lot from their personal experiences. So please enjoy, subscribe, and let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bookmatic Best Book Podcast. We have a great guest here today, Rob Fitzpatrick, the author of The Mom Test, the Workshop Survival Guide, which I am currently reading, and then a fantastic book that I finished a few months ago called Write Useful Books, which was a fantastic book about writing. So thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the show. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, it's uh, cool to cool to bump into someone who's read the trilogy, so to speak. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're all in different topics. So I'm always a bit surprised when someone finds all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to check out the mom test sometime in the future, just uh, out of curiosity, because I like your writing style and everything. And uh, all of your books have seemed so very useful so far and applicable in my uh, field of work. So definitely and probably a lot of the viewers as well so yeah cool so let's uh, let's jump in huh yeah definitely yeah so uh you've got what like 14 or so years of experience in like little businesses and stuff like that like what brought you to write yeah. your books uh I, I wanted to go into, well, first I wanted to go into video game design, but that's a terrible industry. And so then I thought a solution would be academia, but that's uh, more bureaucratic than I wanted. But, you know, I, I liked the research and I liked coming up with ideas and I liked programming little like proof of concepts and prototypes. I, I was doing that sort of stuff for my master's research. And that all led me into to startups. It felt like a, a, a less like a, a way to make stuff directly without the the BS. And so we went through Y Combinator, did a, an attempt at a scalable startup. This was back in 2007, 2008, mm. we started. Spent like three or four years working on the, that business and I, I just hated it. it. It was not what I wanted to be doing. And so after that, I, I was like bootstrapping, small teams, small projects. I was switching what I was focusing on all the time, uh, you know, following my interests and just, you know, learning, having fun, working with interesting people. And eventually, you know, you, you learn things as you go along and there, there's stuff that uh, I think a particularly satisfying thing to learn or is the the bits that were really hard for you. Like, mm. you know, it's nice to be a natural and become, you know, world-class or expert, but it's also nice to be terrible and then get to functional. And you're like, ah, oh, this thing that was holding me back my whole career. It's like, I finally figured out how it works. And I felt like that with sales and, and with customer like customer conversations, getting customer feedback, all of that stuff. And so when I had a little bit of downtime after the first business had gone bankrupt, um, I, I kind of figured out that piece of it just toward the end of that business when it was kind of too late to save the business, but the, the skills started to click. So mm-hmm. a year or two later when I had some downtime and I'd applied it to other businesses and seen other entrepreneurs applying it, and I was pretty confident that it was a, you know, a good approach for introverted techies. Um, that became the first book. And I, I was really surprised by that book's uh, adoption and success, but it took a long time to get started. It was years really before people noticed it because it took a long time for that word of mouth to, to build. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the, 
The second book about education design was a case where I'd built a little education business. I was done with it. I didn't want to be teaching anymore, but I thought we had some good lessons to share. So I just wanted to capture the lessons. Um, and then the most recent one, Write Useful Books, was kind of the, I wanted to build a business in the space serving indie authors. And so the book was like planting a flag, a cornerstone of that that business. So each of them had slightly different purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I was looking through like the topics of them, like you've got the mom test, which I mean, like you've got that graph in Write Useful Books about how long it took to to take off. Like, actually, yeah. I'm curious what made that thing like eventually very uh, successful with like over 1,200 ratings on Amazon. That's yeah. quite a lot. So it's now sold more than 100,000 copies. And that book on its own does about 15,000 a month in royalties, which is obviously quite nice. Um, between the three books is about 25,000 a month in royalties at the moment. Mm -hmm. And they are growing like mom test is almost 10 years old now. And each year is better than the previous year. And mm -hmm. I do I have no author platform for that I occasionally put out a little Q&A video or something on YouTube, but I don't really have that many followers. Um, and I don't send any emails about it. It's all word of mouth and organic growth. And that was my whole thesis about nonfiction was that all of the money, um, I heard this from uh, Seth Godin. He said in the publishing industry, 90% of the profits come from books that are older than six months that have become back catalog classics. And hmm. the industry only spends 2% of their marketing budget on them. So you've got 90% of the profits for 2% of the marketing budget. And it oh, all wow. comes from these outlier books that manage to like most books fade really quickly. They, they, they get big launch, press cycle, authors are promoting them, and then they disappear just as quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I looked at the industry dynamics, I was like, oh, I have to make a book if I'm going to work hard because you know I'm a slow writer. If I'm going to spend this much time and effort, I, I want it to last for 10 years. And since I don't have a platform and I don't want to play the PR game, I can't have this do or die launch. I, I need to build it like a long lasting product. And so Montez took, I think the first month it did like $500 in sales or something, just something just absurdly bad. And it, mm -hmm. it took like three years or four years to pass 3000 a month in royalties, which at the time was what I was taking from my business. And that was pretty significant when the book was earning more in like passive income than I was taking from, you know, the little business I was trying to build. Mm -hmm. And then it added six years, I think by six years, it had passed 10,000 a month. And, you know, it's been doing well since then. Um, but that's the... That was that journey. Uh, and then the other books have basically been the same. Workshop Survival Guide got dinged pretty hard by COVID. So that one flatlines at, you know, 3,000, 5,000 a month in royalties. And, and Write Useful Books is a little different because I'm actively promoting it. So that one's like got a little bit of an unfair advantage because I, I, I'm continuing to push it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, while reading through the Workshop uh, Survival Guide, I, I can see how much uh, work went into that and uh, it's, it's very similar to uh, like uh, instructional design stuff like that um, it's it's all very familiar uh, ground yeah, I, I, I do a lot of beta reading so like a lot of books are still written in a waterfall process where it's like build the proposal draft a chapter get the publishers write the whole manuscript developmental editing copy editing proofreading then they start getting well, usually that they would get uh, reader feedback between copy editing and proofreading, but by then the whole book's finished. You can't really make substantial changes. So mm -hmm. I like to do kind of aggressive early cycles of beta reading, very iterative, just like you would build a product. But that does have the downside of if you get it wrong, it, it you some you realize you have to rewrite the book or restructure everything. And the workshop survival guide was particularly tough. That book took over two years to write because 
we, we kind of wrote it in a stupid way where we did finish the whole book first. And then we started doing our beta reading. We're like, oh, we need to redo this almost entirely. And so that's like, you know, it's like writing multiple books. Where and that was some of the lessons that went into uh, into write useful books is like, hey, start earlier. Don't don't polish a perfect manuscript first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it is like instructional design. You test it, you iterate it, right? You see what works for the learners, and, and you know, eventually you get to a product they like and will recommend. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So, what are your thoughts about like this? Kind of goes into what you're saying, but yeah, thoughts about sharing. You know, the parts of the book or the chapters or like maybe just little snippets of the book mm. through uh, either author platform or social media or whatever it may be. What are your thoughts about uh, that while <laughs> writing the book? The more the merrier. Uh, there's different purposes for sharing. So you can share for feedback and learning or you can share for like marketing and momentum. Uh, sometimes the it's slightly different ways of sharing. So w when you're beta reading, uh, you want the beta readers to be as close as possible to your actual future readers. So if you're writing for beginners in some industry, you want your beta readers to be beginners in that industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so whereas when you're doing marketing, you're much more interested in like the influencers, the experts, the people who can kind of alley-oop you and give you like that extra bounce in, in your because it's momentum building, when you're doing marketing, it's just different purposes, right? If I'm doing beta reading and I get five people looking at the thing, but they're the right five people and they give me the feedback I need to figure out the next problem, the next book killing problem, then that's been really successful. Whereas, and I might spend a hundred hours on, on that loop with five people to, to finish the next iteration. Whereas if you spend like a hundred hours on a marketing effort and you get five people looking at it, it probably wasn't the best use of your hundred hours, right? Yeah. Um, so in both cases, it's putting out pre-launch versions. If you're starting your book marketing at launch, you've, you've screwed up pretty badly because mm -hmm. you're just missing a trick, right? Like you're going to launch with, there's this concept, especially on Amazon of training the algorithm. So if you launch the, the Amazon's algorithm is like, as soon as you launch, it's watching your book's performance. And if no one's buying the thing, or if people, if you send it to your friends and family and they all look at the Amazon page and go, congratulations, and they don't buy it, or they buy it, but they're not representative of your actual readers, you're basically training Amazon's algorithm incorrectly. You're convincing mm -hmm. it that the wrong type of people want, want the book or that people look at the page, but don't buy. Um, mm -hmm. And so you kind of want to start not with a bang, but like you want to start with something when, when you're out on Amazon. And that means you probably want your editorial reviews, you probably want your pre-launch testimonials, you probably want that early bit of momentum, not so that you can get thousands of sales, but at least so you can get a couple per day from the right people, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Amazon really rewards this like steady organic uh, drip of sales and reviews rather than these big spikes. Mm -hmm. So that stuff has to be lined up early and like, how are you gonna line it up? Well, if, if you're putting it out there anyway, you might as well be getting feedback as well. And, and like th this, this all loops together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then there's others. You can do Amazon's PPC ads are pretty good. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really hard to convert other ad platforms to book sales. Like Facebook ads to a book sale is so hard. Oh, yeah. Um, but on Amazon, people imagine. are ready to buy books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then you can do all the other stuff. And if you have other products, like if the book is part of a business, then it gets so much easier for you because the value per customer of selling a book is so much higher if you've got like other business products, other services, whatever. So there, there's lots of ways to arrange it, but mm -hmm. yeah, you, you want it out there. 
And I, I wouldn't say like one of the mistakes is, is to be like, Hey, I'm writing a book. What do you think? It's like, people are going to be like, yeah, it sounds cool. It's going to be great. I'm excited for you. Um, but what I actually want is, is I want them to be investing their time by like, by putting in the work of doing the beta reading, or I want them to be like signing up and giving some sort of commitment. Uh, it doesn't have to be a financial, but, but some sort of clear expression of interest, not just like a, Hey, you know, not just an empty compliment. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you like, yeah, uh, I like this point in your uh, write useful books. Uh, when I got to the point about the beta reading and the seed reading and stuff like that, I was quite amazed. And because I never thought about that before hmm. when writing a book and uh, your point about asking people, oh, what do you think about this? Asking your friends or your family, they're obviously going to be, well, it depends <laughs> on who the person is, but they're probably just going to be like, yeah, friendly with you about it and not give you the critical feedback that you need. So but how even if they were trying to give you critical feedback, it still wouldn't work because they don't know what's going to be in the book. Like a, a, a lot of so there's the promise on the cover, right? That's part of it. But then there's also like the education design. It's like, do, do the contents work? Are they in the right? Is it at the right level of detail? Uh, have you chosen anecdotes, examples, exercises? Is the ordering correct? Um, all, all the underlying education design stuff that you can kind of get by teaching. So like you can figure out is the promise of the cover compelling by saying like, hey, you know, all this stuff that people do online, you know, and what do you think? And do you want it? And blah, blah, blah. For the education design, you can get a lot of that by teaching or coaching where you're basically like teaching the table of contents. You're pretending yourself that you are the book and, and you're like delivering the book's outcome. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of that before I settle down on a table of contents where I'm like, I draft the table of contents and I, I try finding people to coach and teach and deliver it to. Mm -hmm. And if no one wants like me to teach the book's content to them for free, like, are they really going to buy the book after it's finished? So you're, you're like right. putting these these like gates in front of it. But then there's questions about readability. You know, do people want to get to the end? Is, is the writing itself clear enough? You're never going to get that from a conversation. At that point, that's when you really need a manuscript. Uh, and then there's, you know, the, the polish and whatnot. So there, there's levels of learning that you get at each stage, but you never get complete learning. You, you know, you can figure out if the promise is compelling when you, before you've written anything, but you're, you, there's still risks that involve the craft. So you need to use each of the learning tools at different stages and beta reading is a big one. Yeah, definitely. How would you go about uh, finding like trustable, reliable uh, beta readers that are going to give you the like constructive feedback that you need for mm -hmm. what you have written? So partly it's what they do, not what they say. So I watch for where they give up. <laughs> and mm. when they give up, they're showing you where they got bored. Uh, there's, and, and I don't, I've seen some authors try to convince readers to keep reading. They say, come on, please. You stopped at chapter three, please keep going. But if <laughs> they stopped at chapter three, that is the data. Uh, that shows you that either chapters one and two were a boring grind and chapter three, they're exhausted. Or it shows you that whatever's in chapter three is undesirable. Mm -hmm. or that they've sort of lost faith in you as an author because they didn't feel like you were delivering on the promise of the cover. And, mm -hmm. and so them giving up is the data, right? Uh, the disinterest right. is the data. And so then what I do is I go, okay, there's a problem somewhere around like chapter two, chapter three. And so then I'll go in and even if they've told me nothing, and even if the only data I have is that that's where people are giving up, and obviously you want more than one person, but if that seems consistent, then you, then then you use your own sense of craft and you look at it and you try to debug that area. But at least you know where the problem is. 
uh, and then you do another round of beta reading and hopefully then people are getting to like chapter four or chapter five and you go okay that's where the next problem is and, and you keep working working through it and in some cases it's that you like with the workshop survival guide i i, I originally uh, invited both school teachers university teachers and uh, freelance workshop facilitators and the freelancers loved it um, and, and the other groups, you know, didn't really care for it. So I go, okay, so let me focus in the examples and really target the, the freelancers. With Write Useful Books, I had some traditional publishing, uh, you know, publishers read it mm -hmm. as beta readers. I had uh, like academic authors who had written a bunch of books that hadn't been successful. And I thought they might be interested in what they could do differently. Uh, and then mm -hmm. there was kind of like first time authors. And the, again, the first time authors loved it. The other two groups weren't really that interested. And so those were cases where um, I'm not weighting every piece of feedback equally because in, in the early rounds, like part of what I'm trying to figure out is who is this book really for? And, and then once mm -hmm. I've identified that, it's like, okay, that's who I'm listening to. And then I take their feedback really seriously and I ignore the feedback from the other groups unless they say right. that something, you know, m makes them feel insulted or something like that. You don't want <laughs> anyone to feel bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's such a cool process. Uh, about how many uh, rounds do you think you would want to go through? Um my first book, I found that the more I've taught a topic, the less I need to do beta reading on it because like the the trickiest thing to to figure out or the slowest thing to figure out with beta reading is the the underlying education design. So if you've already got that from teaching, it's you know maybe two or three, you know if you get lucky. That's what it was for the mom test. I got pretty lucky with that because I taught it so much. Um, Workshop survival guide. I probably did six or eight rounds of beta reading, and uh, write useful books was even more than that. Um, and it was just cases where those were topics that I had less teaching experience. So mm -hmm. I, I had to do more loops of beta reading to get the product to a point where people really got it. Uh, I don't know, like the, the tricky part about the beta reading is that it's really hard to schedule because you, you're basically, at least the way I do it, is I continue looping with beta reading until I'm getting a signal that uh, readers are reaching the end, receiving the value and sharing it with their friends. Oh, okay. And once I've got those signals, I'm like, okay, this is a pretty good book now it's doing what it's supposed to people want it they want to share it and now i just need to polish it up and make it look professional mm -hmm. and but that can take a long time right like right, right use books right. took a year and a half uh, workshop survival guide took two years uh, and so if you're on a schedule you have a publishing deal you don't really have that flexibility uh, and, mm -hmm. and in those cases i'd say carve it out and say like okay i'm going to give myself three iterations of beta reading and, and say like the first one's gonna be two weeks to find like, then the second one's gonna be like four weeks and the third one's gonna be like eight weeks. They get slower each iteration because your book is getting better. So readers are making it further into the book before they give up. So that means like there's more that you need to revise typically. Um, mm -hmm. And if you did two or three rounds, it'll be way better than if you do zero. But if you can keep going, that's you know that's the, the best case. You, you just gotta know there's a little bit also with writing books of playing against your own emotions because mm -hmm. If you're the sort of person who's going to like get disheartened when you're close to the finish line, then you want to make sure that you reach the finish line when you still have energy. So there yeah. you might sacrifice some rounds of beta reading in order to make sure that you, you get to the finish line when you're still excited. Um, if you're the sort of person who's like going to finish it eventually, then you, you can be a lot looser with this stuff. And But you'll have problems somewhere else. Maybe your problem's getting started or maybe you're a perfectionist and then you like you're always fiddling with it and, and you're like you'll never call it good enough. So you, you kind of figure out what your personality is and, and you, mm -hmm. you compensate. Yeah, writing is truly an art in that aspect because each one of us is different and we approach 
our writing and and mm-hmm. everything our life differently and so yeah that's that's an interesting observation and uh really good tips there i think for all the people out there that want to write some uh some non-fiction or self-help uh would this work for any other genre you think or uh i don't know i, I i've only ever written these kind of like I call them problem solvers where yeah. the the book is like, I'll teach you how to do this, help you achieve this, understand this, you know, see this differently. And mm-hmm. it's a big slice of nonfiction. Uh, I, I don't think if you're writing like a novel or a memoir that feel or a biography, that feels to me much more like a craft or art where you kind of do want to go into the tank and be the lone genius and rely more on your own intuition. Whereas if you're writing a nonfiction book that's like on the cover, it's like how to do this or like how this works or why this mm-hmm. works or uh, in those cases, like the the cover is making a promise or a value proposition. And then the inside of the book is like a product that needs to deliver successfully on that promise. And in the, that, that that's where I think this iterative, uh, reader-centric, data-driven approach works best mm-hmm. or is most critical, let's say. But yeah. then Brandon Sanderson, he writes uh, like lengthy fantasy novels, um, like the yeah. uh, Mistborn series and... Way of Kings is, is excellent. And he uses a lot of beta reading for his novels. And what he does is he's looking for places where readers are getting frustrated or where they're getting bored. And he gave a wonderful example in one of his books where there was sort of a lengthy scene. It's, it's like this ensemble cast, like Game of Thrones, where lots of point of view characters and they're all off doing different things. And uh, he, he had a lengthy scene where like a, a couple of the main characters kind of visited the spirit realm and spent a while wandering around and doing things. Mm-hmm. And the readers hated it. They're like, this is a diversion. Get back to the main story. Why are you wasting our time? Like, I don't care about this. You're slowing things down. And he said he didn't remove any of those pieces, but he, he signposted it better so that that diversion felt like the point of the book. So he left the whole plot the same. He left like, Everything was the same. He just added in a couple signposts earlier to sort of like make people think that this was important and that there was more of a point to this. And mm-hmm. suddenly readers loved it. Right. And and he said that that was kind of a book saving change. And that's the sort of thing that you're never going to get with an editor or yourself. You still use editors. Right. And you still use yourself, of course. Um, but you're not going to get because that's a, something that lives in the, the reader's experience of the book. Uh, and it, it's really hard to get from a professional not because the professional isn't good, but just because they aren't your reader. Right. And so, you know, in those cases, you'll get something out of beta reading always, I would believe. Mm-hmm. And then some authors like Marty Kagan, who wrote um, Inspired and various other like uh, product management books, they're excellent. Uh, he, he likes to use a trusted expert reviewer before he goes out to beta readers. So what he does is he starts by blogging. He like works over his big ideas, his blog posts. Okay. Um, as he compiles them into like a book, you know, he's like, okay, I've got a cluster of ideas on this topic. He compiles them and he says probably about 70% of his books has like been out there as, as blog posts and the other 30% is like the necessary cohesion to, to pull those ideas together and, and frame mm-hmm. the narrative. And, and then he brings that to like a trusted, what he calls an expert reviewer. And he has that person like work it over. And this is not his reader, but it's a subject matter expert who's going to be able to call BS, tell him if he missed something, if he's oversimplifying, overgeneralizing. Um, and then he does the beta reading. And he says that since he's done so much writing in public uh, with these ideas, that he only needs one or two rounds of beta reading. And each of his books has sold half a million copies or more. So oh, clearly that process works really well for him. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I tend to do it, you know, I don't do as much of the writing in public. So I, I do more of the, you know, the beta reading loops. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the writing platform, not the writing platform, but like mm -hmm. author platform, building a platform before you actually mm -hmm. start like releasing the book before, uh, maybe even before you even start writing the book, what are your thoughts about this? And, uh, can you yeah. tell us about like your community? I know you've got like a, a website yeah. set up. It kind of looks like a, a feed of some sort uh, <laughs> and you've got like a community as well. So can you tell us a bit yeah. about uh, building a platform and your community and your website? Yeah. So author platform is great. Um, author platform is just like audience, right? But it's like, you know, people yeah. who care about the stuff you're writing and, and want to like hear about your new books and support you and buy them and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so author platform is really worth building. Any audience is worth building if you're going to spend a long time in the same industry. At least this is my like my viewpoint on it. And especially if you're going to have multiple products that will serve the same customers, because it takes a really long time to accumulate a meaningful audience or build a meaningful author platform mm -hmm. years. Uh, and so if you're going to spend years building it and all you're ever going to sell them is one book, you, you sort of run out of things to say. It's like, and the, the lifetime value on, on those customers is, is very low because books are inexpensive products. Whereas if you're gonna be releasing like book, then software or like productized service, or you've got a business, or you're building up like a joint venture and partnership relationships with great affiliates, and, and you're treating the book as part of a broader business for this customer who you're trying to understand and serve over many years, then it's a total no-brainer to build this audience, right? Because it's, it's a compounding asset that's gonna, you know, it, it's almost a magic bullet. And yeah. that really justifies the time cost. Um, so for me, it's like author platform is probably the most reliable and most powerful way to sell books, but it's not always worth doing. If you're just going to write the book and then move on to a different industry, which was what I did with my first two books, right? then it, it's hard to justify that time investment. And this is why I never did it. And it's why I bet so hard on the word of mouth and the organic growth. And then if you can build your book to be recommendable and long lasting, it changes it from like, I need a giant platform to sell books myself to like, how can I seed the first 500 or a thousand happy readers so that the word of mouth can begin. I've done that with event giveaways at conferences. I've done that with bulk sales to corporates uh, I've, and universities. I've done it with, you know, just brute force content marketing. <laughs> yeah, uh, You can do it with the podcast book tour. You can do Amazon PPC ads post-launch. Um, None of these is terribly efficient and you don't need to do all of them. But if you mm -hmm. like, if you can find one that works for you, you can sort of brute force it for a while to get those first 500 or a thousand copies into the right reader's hands. And then what I did after that is I sort of took my foot off the gas and I said, Hey, I've done my job. I sold the first thousand copies or given them to the right people, whatever it is, the book can now succeed or fail <laughs> on its own merits mm -hmm. at its own pace. And as we saw with Montes, that took years before it started delivering meaningful income. But, you know, it eventually did because that's yeah. how the book was designed. Um, Workshop Survival Guide, I was so burned out when we finished that book. <laughs> and so I was already on vacation uh, and I stayed on vacation, well, more like a sabbatical because it was a few years. But I was already on sabbatical um, on my little sailboat by the time that that book launched. And I literally did nothing for the launch. We just set up some Amazon PPC ads and ignored it. The ad sold like 50 to 100 copies per month. Uh, <laughs> for the first few months, that was all that sold was the ones that went through our ads. Um, mm. and, and then by about month four, five, six, 
the organic sales from word of mouth were higher than the advertising driven sales. So like oh, yeah. that was a case where the ad slowly built the seed audience to allow the word of mouth to kick in. Mm -hmm. um, with with what with write useful books, um, we I as you say like uh, we have a community of authors. Um, I've been doing like YouTube videos. I've been interviewing other authors, uh, and the reason I'm building that platform is because we do have a bigger business, which is usefulbooks.com, and we have mm -hmm. software for beta reading called Help This Book. We have the paid authors community. We have the book right. itself. We're uh, long term. We want to set up like a publishing imprint around our approach to. Um, you know, this like iterative data-driven approach to, to building nonfiction. And we want to spend 10 years on this. It's like a bootstrap business. We're still super early. We're doing 10,000 a month right now in uh, mm -hmm. revenue. So we're, we're at the very, very early stages. Um, but we think that there's a lot of interesting problems to solve for indie nonfiction authors. And, you know, that, that that's, we want to spend a decade on it. And so sure. as soon as we made the decision to spend a decade, I was like, oh yeah, of course we should build the platform. And so mm -hmm. we're, you know, that, that's why I'm continuing to do the marketing and, you know, build these communities and the audiences and all that. It, it's just a business model thing. Yeah, that makes sense to build a platform only if you're going to be in it for the long term, because yeah, it wouldn't yeah. make sense really to only do it for one book and then be like, done. Exactly. <laughs> done and gone. Yeah. So I like yeah. what you've got going on, even though I, I uh, just took a look at it briefly, you know, and uh mm -hmm. Uh, it looks uh, very interactive on your website, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I haven't I really have seen like a, a website like it before. <laughs> <laughs> I, so. I have a personal website, which is robfitz.com, which is basically just my blog. But I, I'm using uh, I'm using community software to basically run my blog because I, I thought that I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the topic of my next book. My fourth one is going to be a, it's about outcome oriented communities, so communities that solve a problem or help people develop a skill or accomplish a goal. Mm -hmm. um, and so as part of my research for that, I've been shifting all my stuff over to communities. So we, we've got okay. the author's community at usefulbooks.com and then robfist.com is sort of my like me just sharing my dumb ideas in progress. <laughs> mm, yeah. And we, yeah. Yeah. we also have for that one, we, there's like a little paid section for um, the early readers. So with, um, with my stuff on outcome oriented communities, I released the first uh, manuscript for beta reading when it was only 8,000 words. So it was like the first two chapters. It was just kind of like the problem statement. Mm -hmm. And then I did a quick iteration on that. got it up to 12,000 words, did another round of beta reading, got it so many comments, like thousands and thousands of comments. And at the end of that, I said, Hey, like, it's going to be a while before I finish this book. Cause I'm still doing my research and learning. But if you want to apply it, like, you know, pop over to robfist.com and, you know, we'll have a paid space of people who are working on this. And there's now a little group of people who started as readers, but they're now like doing it. They're like applying the ideas huh. and practicing. And so for me, that's amazing in terms of the quality of learning, because it's making that book in progress so much better. And like, I'm learning so much. And it's this fun little like early access reader group. Um, and they pay. So it's also like a little revenue stream. So there's so many different interesting ways to both uh, like monetize a book and also like fit it into a broader business model and also like open the floodgates of learning so that you can make something better instead of just writing it by, you know, by yourself in a basement somewhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, what would you say is like the number one thing that people should do when they're writing a book? Um, like what, basically what makes a, uh, self-help nonfiction book successful in your opinion? Um, so there's two things like at the like high level thing at the beginning is think of it as a long lasting problem solving product. So, mm -hmm. and it needs to be best in class. So 
let's say that it, it's for like digital nomads to get settled in a new city or whatever. Like there's like, there was this dream early on and when everyone's like, yeah, take your laptop, go to the beach, travel the world. And then all these reports started coming back of how lonely that actually is. Um, I don't mm. know if you've ever tried the digital nomad lifestyle, but it's really hard. You're always bouncing around. It, it's easy to make like uh, friends for a beer or a coffee, but it's really hard to make like deep friendships when you're always like bouncing around. Mm-hmm. And so let's say that was the problem your book was solving. It's like how to get settled and like deal with like the loneliness and the isolation of being a digital nomad. You go, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a problem. Like what you want is like, how does the book get recommended or spread? You imagine there's like digital nomads talking to each other or like they're, they're talking on Hacker News or, or Indie Hackers or whatever. They're like, man, it's actually tough. You know, I feel a bit isolated. And someone goes, oh, I used to feel that way too. Uh, I know the solution to that problem. You got to read this book. Now here they could say, you gotta join this community. You gotta go to this city. You gotta download this app. There could Mm -hmm. be a bunch of different solutions, but it's possible that the solution could be a book. Now they're only gonna make that recommendation if your book actually is the best solution to that problem for that person. And I think it's really hard to, for example, make the best book about like travel. You know, that's such a big category. There's so many different types of travelers. But if you niche down and you go, this is for like introverted, technical, digital nomads who feel lonely, you you might even niche down harder than that. The more you niche down with who the book is for, the easier it is or the more possible it is to be the best book in the world for that particular type of person. And once you're the best solution for a, a type of person that can activate the recommendations. So like the mom test is not the best book about sales or customer learning or customer development. Mm-hmm. But it is the best book in those categories for introverted technical startup founders. Okay. So yeah. it's like niche, niche, niche. Um, and it's the best book in the world for them. I'm confident for this particular skill or that problem. Um, but it's not for people outside that. And when I get bad reviews, like which isn't terribly common, but it does happen because, you know, whatever, it, it's inevitable. Yep. It's almost all I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is an experienced salesperson who was told they had to read this book. But like they're clearly the wrong person, right? Like, yeah. But their like boss told them they had to read it because their boss is an introverted techie, and then the salesperson <laughs> hated it. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the 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 at the beginning, like how to think about the book. It's like, what is the problem? Can I be the best solution? Who's it for? Um, what do they already believe? What do they already know? What can they already do? Um, and then once you actually get into the writing, like. It's the iterations of beta reading or, or teaching. One little trick I like to do is when I'm getting serious about a book, I try to like adopt one or two future readers and I basically give them free coaching and try, try to make them excellent at whatever my book is about. So for the workshop survival guide, Devin and I each took one person who really wanted to level up their workshop delivery. And we got them from unpaid workshops or $500 a day or well, 500 pounds. We were in London at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and we got both of them to 2000 pounds a day. So about like $3,000 a day. And, and we did that in like a, a couple of months by just delivering the content from the book to them and helping them through the problems. And by seeing where they got confused, where they got skeptical, they were like our original guinea pigs for testing the ideas of the book. Oh, yeah. and, and they were delighted, obviously, because suddenly they were making 2000 pounds a day. And we were delighted because we knew that the concepts in the book could apply to, to teachers other than ourselves. Um, and then like that gave us the confidence, okay, let's write up this manuscript, like really hone it, do the beta reading, invest the effort. Um, and I did the same thing with Write Useful Books. That started because a friend of mine in Barcelona, uh, Veronica, she was like, Rob, give me advice on my book. And I was like, okay, 
And she became like the person I, I coached through it. And the early iterations were all around like solving her problems, answering her mm -hmm. questions. And now I'm doing that slightly more at scale with this early access community where like every week they're like, ah, I'm stuck on this. How does this work? I'm worried about this. And I'm like, aha, my manuscript must have done a bad job answering those questions or like, ooh, I forgot to write about that. I should. Um, and the more yeah. you can engage with with the readers like that, and then that solves so many other problems because then those people give you your testimonials at, at launch. Like they, right. they give you, they're your first beta readers. They're like so many problems disappear if you have access to these readers. And sometimes if you go, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, writing a book is a lot of work. If you don't <laughs> right. want to like go talk to some readers and help them with their problems, then you're probably also going to like uh, shortchange yourself on all the other stuff that goes into a, a book that really works. And, and so then, hey, just like chill or like write something different or, you know, that you are excited about or, you know, wait, wait until you find it. You can't write a book cynically. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that, those are thoughts. And then the last thing I would say, this is like the most tactical of the tips, but front load the value. Start with the good stuff. Like when someone buys a book, they already believe that you are credible. You don't need to give them a 30 page intro with your whole life story to convince them you're credible. They already bought mm -hmm. your book. Like yeah, give them I what they came across, like that. the value. <laughs> I I'm already reading the book. You don't need to tell me how good your your book is yeah. going to be in the second or third chapter, which I have experienced before. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need that. I'm, I'm already reading. I'm gonna stop reading now because you're <laughs> going on about it. <laughs> There's also another one that drives me crazy that's similar is when you buy a book and it's like advanced tactics for community building. And then like the first chapter is about why communities matter. And it's like, I wouldn't have bought advanced tactics for community building if I didn't already believe they matter. And that's mm -hmm. just like bad reader segmentation. It's like not really knowing who the book is for. And they almost write the contents of the book. And then they're like, ooh, what would be a compelling marketing message? Or they like, you know, they like come up with a short marketing message, but then during writing, they're like, oh, but what about beginners? And so they add some beginner chapters. Oh, but what about experts? And they add some expert chapters. And then you've got a book where half yeah. of it's boring for beginners and half of it's boring for experts and nobody loves it enough to recommend it. So yeah. being being able to make a sharp call about who it's for and then leave the rest of the stuff out and then start with the good stuff for the people you're serving, uh, you know, it, it helps a lot with readability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Front loading. I think that's a really good uh, tip and point. Um, uh, what would you say, like, uh, so you're going to front load it, put like a bunch of good stuff in the first, what, couple chapters and then, and then spread it out, give like little gems, little treats throughout the, uh, the chapters, each of the chapters. Yeah. It's basically like a, um, so it, you think of like, aha, uh -huh, so there's a promise on the cover. So the promise is like, yeah. whatever you're, you're going to learn how to paint or like play piano or grow a veggie garden or build a business or whatever it is. Um, and a lot of authors will try to jam all the academic theory at the start because they're like, let's get the theory out of the way and then we can move on to the good stuff and you'll know everything. But that's not how people learn. And right. to manage people's attention, uh, you, like you need to give them bits of what they want. So if what they want is to build a business or grow a veggie garden, like they need to get these, maybe it's a practical tip, maybe it's a useful tool, maybe it, it's like a mistake people make, but the things that make people go like, oh, wow, yeah, and they highlight it on Kindle or they underline it or they, they dog ear the page so they can come back to it later. In the best case, they put the book down and they, they go do something differently in their life because they're like, wow, I can use that right now. And those are my mm -hmm. favorite reviews to get. Um, 
like my favorite review for the workshop survival guide was, was someone who said like i only got five pages into this book before i had to put it down and change everything i was doing about my workshops i'm like all right <laughs> like yeah and that's a delivery of value uh because if people read the whole book cover to cover and they don't think anything differently or do anything differently then your book's kind of failed because it hasn't actually impacted their life it's been mm -hmm. infotainment uh, and so could also be the person too. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Obviously, you're, none of these things. When I say these generalizations, you're never going to get to 100. percent And you yeah. can you you shouldn't beat yourself up if like any individual has like you know whatever they were in a rush or they're they're trying to read 100 books in 100 days. So like you know of course they're just wasting their time. <laughs> in yeah. my opinion, um, I read like one book per 100 days because I spend 100 days on a book and and like I pick good books that are worth spending 100 days on. Oh, yes. is the way I do things. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in some cases, if it's like a big idea book, you can like start with the big idea and just like give it away in the first page. Like, this is the big idea here. It all is. And like, if, if someone already has enough background understanding that they can then leave and implement it, they'll be happy because you didn't waste their time. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of the book can be like filling in the details and giving examples and the practical how to's. If the book is more like a process, so that's not possible, then you just try to make sure that every page or two, there's something where people are going like, oh, wow, I can use that. Like, oh, wow. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and if you do that, they'll, they'll stay super engaged no matter how long the book is. What people don't like is like long periods that feel like walking through a desert where they're like, oh, I'm doing hard work right now. I'm like working to get to the next point. Mm -hmm. um, like mm -hmm. we, we've all been to, uh, you know, events and workshops and conferences like this as well, where it's like the, the facilitator or the organizer hasn't done the work of making like an engaging day. So they're kind of like expecting the audience to like do the hard work of paying attention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And actually, yeah. that, that's just a failure of design. And, yeah. you know, the same is true for books. You, you design it to be, you know, like this, this trail of valuable breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between uh, the workshops and the, the books and how, mm -hmm. how to go about preparing for them and writing them, doing them. So exactly. Yeah. It's just managing your your audience's like energy and attention. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. Make yeah, you don't want to <laughs> sit there and lecture and sit there and lecture for go on and on and on without giving them something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So uh, uh, is there anything else that you would like to add uh, to this I mean, conversation? I, yeah, the, the, there's a couple big myths about books. Um, you know, if anyone's interested in writing one. So people say you can't make money on books or the books are a crapshoot or a gamble or that you can only succeed if you're famous or have a huge audience. And all, all of that is is just completely wrong. Um, it is true that that most books are built the way that like startups and tech products used to be built in like 1999 when it was like the dot-com crisis where it's like mm -hmm. come up with a beautiful looking plan then like disappear for two years and come back with a business and hope that people love it that's the way books are still made which is crazy but mm -hmm. if you apply like a more modern iterative process you can really change the industry dynamics uh and I, they can be really attractive like I, I do software i can code you know i, I can do businessy stuff but uh, there's this kind of joke about everyone wants to build software and get like passive income, right? And go hang out on a beach somewhere. But in, in the software world, Amy Hoy has this great quote where she goes, uh, passive income isn't passive. And, and what she means is like, you're always maintaining servers. You're always dealing with customer oh, yeah. support. Something changes. There's like a security thing you need to like urgently fix. Whereas royalties, like book royalties, whatever, other kinds of royalties are like one of the purest types of passive income that's actually achievable as an individual and that you can build for yourself. 
Um, so I really love it as a, like a passive income stream. And obviously for me, it's like has become meaningful, but you, you don't need that much for it to be a, a nice thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then the, the author platform stuff is like, yeah, you just need to understand the recommendation loop. There, there are other paths, like once, once you get these products and publishers don't really get uh, how books work. Like what publishers get is um, momentum marketing and like industry, like readership trending topics, let's say. Mm -hmm. So if you're an author with a large audience or platform and you're writing in a trending topic, that's super attractive to publishers. But they're kind of evaluating the author and the market more so than the actual book. And as an individual, like you can bet on yourself and you can bet on the book as a product and like spend the time to make it good. Uh, and and yeah. when you do that, you can kind of violate all of these uh, like conventional like understandings or beliefs about the, the publishing industry. So I think it's great, but you know, you gotta love it. You gotta love the readers you're serving and, and you gotta like make the time and do the work. And, you know, anyway, if you want to check out usefulbooks.com, uh, we got, you know, all the information there and a, a happy community of authors would love to have you with us. But I, I think it's great and it's good for legacy, good for income, good for impact. It's for me, it takes yeah. all the boxes. Yeah, definitely. It does. It does. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we had a great conversation. Uh, I hope everyone listening and watching uh, got a lot of value from it. Uh, check out Rob's books, uh, his website, his community. Um, where can we reach you uh, and uh, buy your books? <laughs> Uh, robfitz.com is like me personally. Uh, but if you're interested in the writing side, usefulbooks.com is the best place to find, uh, you know, all, all the writing stuff, the beta reading <laughs> software, the book, the community, the author's community, all that good stuff. Cool. Um, and that's my, uh, yeah, that's my exciting focus for the next decade. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Thank you everyone. And, uh, have a great day and see you in the next episode.